Hey folks, Dave Harvey here and welcome to the Am I Called podcast. And uh, we're recording today from our new location, which is down in Naples, Florida. And joining me today is Jamin Stinziano. Jamin is the lead pastor of Summit Church, but he's also our newest board member of the Am I Called ministry. And, uh, and Jamin is the one that invited me to become a teaching pastor at Summit. So Jamin, it's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Also today, we have joining us J.R. Vassar. And JR is in town because he is serving the staff and their wives at, over the next couple of days by doing a retreat. And so we've just been enjoying up to this point 24 hours of rest and relaxation and uh, enjoyment of relationships under the hands of JR's leadership. So JR, you and your wife Ginger are here and you have, uh, you have kids here as well, is that right? Yeah, we have our youngest with us. Uh, his name is Lincoln Jones. Lincoln's six months old. Wonderful. Well, thanks for joining us thanks today. Thanks for having me, yeah. So, JR, you were teaching down in Texas, and then you decided to plant a church all the way up into New York City, which seems like one of the most counterintuitive things anybody would imagine for a Texan. <laughs> so where in the world did that come from? Uh, that's a great question. I was serving as a teaching pastor at Lake Point Church in Rockwall, Texas. And uh, while I was there, I... So I, before that, I was doing some itinerary stuff. And just to be honest with you, I just saw the local church as a place to preach my sermons. Mm -hmm. And uh, just a lot of uh, sin in my heart over that issue. And uh, But when I came on staff there as a teaching pastor, I fell in love with the local church, and I saw the local church as God's means of carrying out and accomplishing His mission. And the more I was there, and the more I began to just really love the local church. So it was the experience of being in the church yeah. that cultivated your love for the church. Yeah. Okay. Being there and serving with a group of people, uh, loving a group of people, teaching and watching, um, watching spiritual formation happen over... A, a longer period of time, not just blowing in for a weekend and preaching and leaving, but you're there investing in people, you're watching lives be transformed, your life's being transformed as people are interacting and, and ministering to you, and I just saw the church do what the church is supposed to, to do and be, and and so I started getting really burdened for places where the church wasn't prevailing, uh, where it was weak or altogether absent, and God began to burden my heart for church planting, and I went to our elders and I said, I think God may be calling me to plant a church, and so they went through about 30 days of prayer with me over that, and, and uh, we all felt like God was in it. And so then we just started asking where. Okay. How, how old were you at the time, if I can ask that? Say that again? How old were you at the time? So when you went from itinerant preaching into the local church, how old were you? And then how old were you when you sensed like God might yeah, be so leading you 20, to plant? I was 28 when I became the teaching pastor there at Lake Point Church, and uh, I was right around 31 uh, when we eventually made the move to, to New York City. Yeah. I'm glad that uh, you're able to, to be here, particularly speaking for Texas, because I understand this, there is this phenomenon that when, when one walks through a Salvation Army store, they can occasionally hear <laughs> a, a musical bed of songs that were composed or at least sung by Jamin Stinziano. So this, this is undoubtedly something you've heard of. This has been written about. This is something all the way in been, Texas. I mean, I heard about it. I heard about it last night, and of course, it was great fun. But have you ever heard? Has, 
Have you ever heard this happen? Has this ever been corroborated for you, Jr.? I've never, I've never um, spoken to anyone other than the said person that we've just discussed <laughs> uh, mention anything about an album like this. But people uh, are talking. It about has it, been yeah. affirmed. It has so been affirmed. People are talking yes, about it. They definitely are. The album itself <laughs> is still under question. Oh man, whatever. But nevertheless, time to move on. Um, so, so then, Jr., you go. You go from Texas, and you plant the church, and you're in what, what part of New York? We were in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, right there in New York City. Okay. Yeah. So you are leading a successful church then in the Upper East Side, which I think is a, you know, it's an enviable role for yeah. a lot of pastors. When you think about young guys that are going to seminary, and they're, you know, they're reading Keller, and they're into culture, and they're thinking, man, that would be the place to go, and I want to go get into a city, and I want to be able to have great impact. And, and your church was doing very well. You were thriving. You were, you were networked. But after eight years, you, you decided that it was time to leave that. So talk a little bit about that experience, and talk, talk about the circumstances that led to that departure. Yeah. Well, God was uh, very merciful to us when we moved there and began that work. And um, he did bring a lot of fruitfulness and brought a lot of people into our lives that we loved doing life with and pastoring. And the church was growing. We went um, to two congregations and we're about to plant a third one. And, and as the ministry was doing well uh i feel like new york was starting to take somewhat of a toll on my family um my uh you know i think there are just certain families that really blossom in the soil of the city and then other families that really have a hard time blossoming blossoming in that soil and uh we we gave it a go a really a really good go for um almost almost nine years about eight and a half years and i I, as i looked at um at just my my own children and some of their social struggles and I looked at my my wife and some of her uh, struggles being away from family but also trying to navigate the city with small children and um, and the emotional toll that was beginning to take on her the constant turnover of people so that uh, her closest friends were she'd build great relationships and then they'd move and seeing the, the relational toll it was taking on her um, it just became clear to me that we really needed to think about handing that work off for the sake of my family. Cause I just resolved, I'm not going to have a flourishing ministry in a, in a, in a hurting family. Um, I don't think that's necessary. I, I don't think you have to have, um, you have to choose one over the other. And so we took a sabbatical in January of 2013 and, uh, just spent some time about three months down in, in the Dallas area, spent some time with a church down there that we're um, close to and, uh, their elders spent time with us, um, we we went we went to counseling and just seeking counsel over what we should do and long story short the lord just made it clear to us that it was time to hand that work off and to bring my family uh back to texas and and start to give more uh time and attention to to their recovery and their flourishing and so we yeah we had to make that decision and and was this the kind of thing where as the, as the team around you, the other pastors, the leaders, as they prayed, as they sought God, as you guys discussed it through, that there was a growing faith and confidence in it? 
or were there guys that were kind of in different places and you just kind of found your way through it? Yeah, I think that, I think there was a, I think anytime a founding pastor leaves, there is a bit of maybe some fear. Um, and so I think there was a, I think we all had agreement that this is what needed to happen. But at the same time, there was a bit of um, concern as to what's going to happen. And, you know, I think that's just a, being confident in the sovereignty of God to be able to say, we, we think this is the will of the Lord. And so we're going to leave the outcomes to the Lord. And not try to control the outcomes. And I think that's one of the hardest things in ministry is trying to, out, trying to control the outcomes of your ministry instead of just being faithful to do what you believe God's calling you to do and taking those next steps and leaving the outcomes to Him, not trying to manipulate the endings. Or, and so it was, it was a good faith builder for all of us, to, for, for me to be, able to, to be able to hand off that work and to trust God with it. And um, I think that was probably the hardest struggle yeah. for me. I'm sure it was. Did it feel almost, it wasn't the death of a vision because the church went on, but for you, did it feel like the death of something? Yeah, I think so. It was a de- definitely the death of, of a dream. You know, you, you, I, we moved there. I envisioned spending the rest of my life there. Yeah. I envisioned that should the Lord will, I could, I could finish my, my ministry there. And I think... You know, I think you, you have to move into every situation. Yeah, which like is that. common. Yeah, just yeah. to say this is, it, as far as I know, this is what the Lord has for me, and I'm going to give myself fully to it. So there was a death to that. But there was also, I think, um, death to some idolatry. Because, yeah. Dave, you talked about this particular place. And I, I think there is an idolatry of place hmm. uh, that can make its way in, into your heart. You know, I think there's a lot of people that get seduced by cities and they end up going there, but they're not called to cities. They're just, yeah. They've just been seduced by a city. But there is something really sexy about planting in a city like New York. There's something really, I mean, it's high energy. It's fast-paced. It's a great need. And you get there, you're surrounded by amazing people, tremendous culture. You're, you know, meeting people and having people in your church that are from all these different arenas in life. And, and it's, it's really thrilling. And when we left there, there was this... There was this death to some mm. idolatry, yeah. as if to say, "I'm wearing New York like a badge of honor, yeah. and I need to lay that down and 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 yeah. not exalt a place and over the person it out of Jesus." For Texas, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I know. Even just for myself, you know, I pastor in Southwest Florida, and there is something that feels like you should go to those larger, sexier cities, or mm-hmm. in a fleshly way, markets, and it feels like. Um, if you're not moving toward that, at times you can believe the lie that you're not doing significant things in ministry. And so I think the opportunity to see someone actually navigate through that, walk faithfully in it, and then also recognize that God was calling you out of it. Um, yeah, that, well, there's a lot of energy right yeah. now and emphasis on on uh, planting churches in strategic centers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not exactly a new idea. I guess no. it's a Pauline idea, and it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's well-funded now. Yeah. And, uh, and for some people, it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I was thinking of, Jamin, was uh, you, know, you and I had a conversation a, a, a while back, and it wasn't related to you at all, but I think we were just commenting on, on the number of, uh, of lead pastors that found themselves in awkward positions where they needed to make a transition out. And uh, when I think about you, JR, you were your lead pastor, you're transitioning out. You know, what, 
what, what kind of counsel would you offer to a man who maybe right now is, is considering a transition uh, for whatever reason from where he is to another location? Um, what kind of things did you, did you learn from that? What kind of things would you avoid in that? And, and probably most importantly, how was the gospel real to you in that experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think because of some of the emotional needs of my children and my wife, uh, our departure felt almost like an, like hitting an eject button. We felt like we needed to do this and we needed to move pretty quickly on it. Um, I don't think that's the, that's the best way. I think to have some time to actually have a transition plan where you're helping to transition the leadership um, it is certainly uh, a more preferred way to do that. But I think when it comes to uh, just the gospel ministry to my own heart, there's a couple things. I, I remember sitting down with a man named John Henderson, uh, who's just a godly, gifted man. And I was talking to him and lamenting about leaving apostles and just concern I had for the church. And, and he said, you know, when you talk, it sounds a lot like you think apostles is like part of your story. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he said, maybe it's not so much that Apostles Church is part of your story, but that you're part of Apostles Church's story. Yeah. That God had in his heart to start this church, and he used you as a piece in that. And when your time was up, he removed you out of it. And well, there's, still there's gonna... a temptation to reduce our story down to that one church experience. Yeah. Yeah, and so when I when I started thinking through that, like God, thank you that you let me be a part of that church's story, that you gave me a role to play in it, and that you've removed that you've removed me from that role now, and I have to trust you with that church because I think there's a bit of trying to guard your, almost trying to guard your legacy a bit, you know, like uh, this is so much a part of me. I've got to make sure that that church continues and and, is, and succeeds and grows and flourishes because somehow my name's attached to it. And that's so fleshly, and that's just such a worldly way of looking at it. And to say that my my identity is not wrapped up in that, and it's not like that's a part of my story. And if it dies, part of my story is is one of failure. Or it's it's more like God has God has a plan for that church. He used me as a part of that plan. He's taken me away from that. It doesn't mean that I'm not responsible to pray for that and to encourage those guys and to give counseling along the way. Uh, but to detach my sense of identity and worth from that work was a was a major part of it. J- Jamin, I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on this because it seems like what part of what we're wrestling with here is 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 trying to move even the definition of success away from a cultural vision that says what ministry needs to look like is a guy like Jr. goes to a city like like uh, New York and everything just just is incredible and the church expands and grows and they're planting churches and he's there for the rest of his life versus the reality of what seems like more of a biblical definition of success where you have a man like Paul who is moving in and out of of different situations where some of them appear very fruitful some of them he's beaten beaten up or something you know yeah. there just seems like there's terrible things that are happening but he's being faithful to what God is, has called him to be. It seems like that, that, that definition of success itself is up for grabs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you mentioned the word faithful. Uh, that's what I was thinking, obviously, through it was faithfulness. Seems to be uh, what our definition of success needs to, 
to basically be founded upon. So it's, am I being faithful to what the Father's called me to in this season of my life? I was thinking about it the other day, reading through 1 Corinthians, uh, you know, Paul's chapter on marriage. So it's a little bit different, but let each of you live the life that's been assigned to you. Like, and be faithful in that moment, whatever it is that the Father has for you. And so, um, you know, I know for myself, a handful of years ago, really coming to a place where I had to ask the question, am I... Am I content with being a really small fish in a really big pond and just being faithful in that spot? Like, could I do that for the rest of my life and be excited about that? And it was a real season of, of God doing a work in my own heart of, of saying, this is what I've called you to, and I'll give you opportunities to do all sorts of things in my kingdom. Uh, just be faithful in the places where I've put you and, and have joy in that. And there is a ton of joy in that yes when you're when you're believing the lies when you're dreaming about a dream that's not your dream or when you're grasping for something man there's not joy there but there's joy in in really um taking hold of what it is that the father's given to you in this season of life and just just running in it jr when when is leaving a pastorate for another location not a good idea <laughs> I think you have to consider motivation in a lot of that. Um, I think some people have a tendency to view churches as kind of stepping stones. Like, I'll take this church and I'll grow it. Maybe a bigger church will come around and open up for me. And so I think seeing um, seeing churches as opportunities for advance, I, um, personal advance, is not healthy. I think leaving because you're maybe you're frustrated what's going on in the current place. I think the Lord would want you at times to push through those things, to learn from those things, to, you know, I think so many pastors are so concerned about changing things. And sometimes God uses that church to change you. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're coming up against some challenges and you think, man, I just need to go somewhere where it's, people are going to follow my leadership more. And, and maybe there's some things God's trying to kill in you that, that he's going to use that church to do it. And, and I think making that transition, you need to have the affirming voices of people all around you. Um, I'm thinking Acts 13 where the Spirit speaks to the church and says, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I called you. I'm real leery about individuals who say God's calling me to this, but they don't have the affirming voices of the church around them saying, we sense God's Spirit mm -hmm. moving in that direction too. We sense God calling you to that work. And, and when we left New York, we wanted the affirming voices of others around us. And so we had people in New York, we had people in Texas. It's not, it's not just self-appointed men yeah, exactly. deciding what God is saying to them and moving from one place to the next and leaving the last place in total confusion yeah. because they don't know what that represented. Yeah, and I've seen, I've seen men launch initiatives at a church and then an opportunity come up at a bigger church and they leave and they leave these people with debt. They leave these people with unfinished projects and man, it's just... De so detrimental to that people. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that there needs to be a, a plurality of voices speaking yeah. into that. And, and I think it needs to be a, a, a clear sense of I'm not running from something. I'm not leaving something, but I'm clearly being called into something else. Yeah, and, and that suffering isn't necessarily an indicator that you're That's not right. called to be there. It's actually, it may be corroborating evidence. I mean, <laughs> I was just thinking about Charles Simeon, how he, you know, he takes over 
uh, his church, and uh, he, the, the bishop of that area is the one that wants him to become the pastor. The congregation is totally opposed, and so the church wardens lock the pews each and every week so that the people that want to come and hear him preach can't sit in the pews. They have to sit in the aisles. They have to stand up in the back. That continues for 12 years. <laughs> while he just continues on in, in his preaching ministry. He ended up leading that church for 50-some years and was a very success, successful pastor. But because he had this vision that, yeah, you know, I, I, go, I go to lead. I, I go to care. I, I go wow. to die. And yeah. that was part of how he thought about pastoral ministry. Yeah. Now, J.R., you have an opportunity to train the next generation of pastors and church planters in different contexts that you're in. Um, let me just ask a general question. You know, what are some of the encouraging things you're seeing in this next generation of church planters? And what is maybe one of your larger concerns for them? Well, I think one of the things I'm encouraged by is um, a rob- more of a robust theological approach uh, to life and to church, it's not so much. Hey, we've got some really got we've got some guys that are really gifted at pulling off marketing or pulling off an attractional events, or we got people who really have a theological vision. They've got a depth of understanding of the gospel. They've got a real clear understanding of ecclesiology. They've got a vibrancy when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. They take church seriously. Uh, they're approaching it with a real desire to see uh, people formed into the image of Jesus, to see people growing as disciple makers. Um, so, I, you know, I, I've seen lots of churches get planted, and I've seen lots of guys who are really good marketers and really good advertisers and really good crowd drawers and really good crowd builders. Um, but you, you, you can... You can just plant any kind of organization with mm-hmm. that kind of um, with that kind of charisma and mentality, and so just seeing some people that have a real passion for the glory of Christ mm-hmm. and have a real love for the gospel of Jesus and have a real desire to see a church healthy and vibrant and strong and rooted and solid and doctrinal those kinds of things excite me. I think some of the things that concern me is what you alluded to earlier was the emphasis on place and i i agree there are strategic places that the gospel is in great need of but i think there's also a lot of rural areas in our own country where the church is disappearing and you read a book like jd vance's book a um, hillbilly elegy and you think of a lot of places in rural america where the church is just exercising no influence Mm. and the church is not ministering to the poor and the broken and the needy in those places and i think we've so glamorized uh places like quote the city um that we forget that the gospel's for people and there are people everywhere and there are people in in remote and rural places that are in desperate need of the gospel and i would love to see an awakening a stirring of young men who say i you know i want to go to the hard place Mm -hmm. and the hard place might be Laverne, Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, um, it might be Booker, Texas. Um, so I, I, and it could be the suburbs. Yeah, you know, yeah, we can't, we can't over spiritualize the city, it, and 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 pr- pretend that there aren't 
a, there isn't a growing body of believers in the suburbs that are buying into an American dream that's pushing them further and further and further away from mm. from the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Going from the city to the suburbs, um, there was a bit of a bit of pride that, like, oh man, I don't want to go do ministry in the suburbs. But the more I'm getting into the suburbs, the more I'm realizing that the people in the suburbs tend to be struggling with kind of the same things the people in the city were struggling <laughs> with. Sin, pride, lust, greed, darkness, lostness. Sinful nature is sinful nature. Mm-hmm. Um, it may manifest itself in different ways in different places, but we're all fallen, broken in Adam, and we need to be liberated and put in Christ. And so, um, yeah. Jamie, what about you? you um, you've been pastoring for, what, 15 years? Yeah. And so you guys have planted a number of churches. You're not just a, a, a new pastor who's got fresh thoughts about this, but you've got some experience. What, what are the things that you're seeing that encourage you, and, and what's one thing that concerns you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the same stuff that JR said. Um, individuals who love the gospel, love Jesus, um, and love the church, and are willing to take hold of whatever it is that God's giving them in a place, wherever that place is. And so um, I think people are finding, you know, church planning is an interesting kind of progression for the last 10, 15 years. It it has become that thing that feels like um, the most glorious step in ministry. I'm going to go out and plant a church. And I, I think people are recognizing that that's not always true and that that all of the things that they've heard or believed aren't necessarily always true but if it's what god has for you oh man it's a great thing it's a it's a great thing to step into and to give your life for for however long god gives it Um, and then at the same time there are many wonderful churches that need pastors to step into those churches and need the gospel to continue to be preached in those places or even be repurposed those churches Mm -hmm. need to be and so just recognizing what it is that god's called you to the gift mix that he's given you i mean those things they're significant. There's a reason God has made you the way that he has made you. And so some people are going to flourish in planting. Some people are going to flourish in stepping in and taking a lead pastor role in another church or, or maybe taking an associate position somewhere else. And I think folks actually being okay with that and recognizing, again, that the Lord has purposed to use them in a specific way, in a specific place, and however, however way he chooses to do that and, and really embracing that. So the things that concern me are when guys – um, you know, come right out of education if, if there's been education and immediately feel like they should be at a place where they're leading the whole or, or um, have trouble sitting under leadership, have trouble being accountable, have trouble um, being a part of a team where they're not actually the person who's, who's leading that. Man, that gives me great concern. And I think the Lord is weeding that out of a lot of us, right, ourselves included. Um, but I, I get really concerned when I see guys who are unwilling to be a part of a, of a larger work or mm-hmm. a part of a work that God is using another person to lead because they have a sense that they should be the one preaching all the time, mm-hmm. that they should be the one leading the meetings. And if, if someone's listening to this feeling that way, I think there's plenty of reason for, for concern on that. Yeah, well said. Um, well, Jay, are you... You and I share a both a, a passion and a project, and that is that you wrote a book, uh, Glory Hunger, mm-hmm. and I wrote a book called Rescuing Ambition, and and both of them start with this um, idea that God has fixed within us, 
a, uh, a, a desire for glory, that we are wired for glory and getting a hold of that glory um, the drive and making sure that's moving towards God and not towards man or uh, or towards other things is is essential is is central to becoming a whole Christian and becoming a fruitful Christian. I'm curious what t- take us back to the moment where you began to realize yeah there there's something going on here that needs to be written about there's a pattern that i'm seeing where people are completely missing some essential ideas that are going to help them as it relates to this glory drive Mm. i think social media and some of the things like that have um, intensified our inherent narcissism there is such um, a constant attempt at platform building that i see with with people, especially young men in ministry, um, quick to um, quick to talk about their successes, um, quick to post the most enviable parts of their lives, and uh, just this r- rampant rise in the attention and focus on reputation, um, that this desire and ache to be known, to be visible, to feel valuable, to be included. It's what C.S. Lewis talked about, the inner ring. Like there's always another, I always got to get past one more border into this inner ring of people and then there's another inner ring. And, and, and I, I, just, I, I just see that runs against the grain of the way of Jesus. And you, know, you think of John the Baptist where the Pharisees came to him and said, hey, G- Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more people than you are. And for that kind of indictment to be brought against a young man in ministry, uh, would probably spark a lot of frustration or, man, I got to get on the ball. What am I doing here? You know, but John says, uh, I can't receive anything unless, unless heaven gives it to me, right? I'm, I'm not, I'm not the, the Messiah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. And so I rejoice that his days here. I must decrease. He must increase. Um, that idea that this, is, this really is about the glory and fame and renown of Jesus mm-hmm. and the best thing I could do is to decrease so that he might increase and not be trapped in ministry comparison, not be concerned about my reputation, not be concerned about who knows me, who sees me. Um, so some of those concerns, and then the, the idea that you mentioned at, at, at the first of your question is that if that's such a, a universal drive in us, maybe it reveals something about the purpose for which we're made. And I do think we're made Paul says that through the gospel we can obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus. This idea that we were made and built for glory. How we go about getting that is uh, determines the trajectory of our lives. And so making sure that people are not pursuing a narcissistic attempt at glory and taking more the way of Jesus um, towards the glory that God has reserved for those that trust him. Yeah. And, and, I, and I would just add, uh, well, I would say first, yes and amen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also add that we, we also encourage men not to adopt a view of humility that guts the organ of ambition and desire. 
So we're not trying to create a generation of Christians that are so modest they aspire to nothing. You know, <laughs> that part of, of, of that glory drive is that we do want to do things for the glory of God. We don't want to see that glory drive turned inward and, and, and make it about us and our own elevation. But, but when, the, when that glory drive is centered on God and fueled by the gospel, it creates a generation of young men and women that, that really want to do something for God. Mm-hmm. And that's how churches get planted. That's how, how businesses get started. And that's how nonprofits you know, take flight. And, and you know, without it, civilizations grow lazy. And so what we're trying to walk this, I don't think it's that fine of a line, but we're, tr- we're trying to uh, discourage people that would be committed to, to making themselves the center of their glory, while yeah. also encouraging folks to, to feed that sense of, of, of glory drive, but make sure that it's pointed towards the yeah. Savior. I'm reading Arnold Dallimore's biography on George Whitfield, and here's a young man who starts ministry and is he's 21 i believe when he preached his first sermon and just the throngs of people who are responding to his ministry and he he prays in one of his journals lord save me from sinful shyness mm. this mm. idea of I, I i i'm so afraid of becoming prideful that i basically step back from a platform the lord's giving me i'm, I'm actually moving away from what god's calling me to out of a sinful shyness mm. or even even maybe even a, a fear of, of, that, of that pride that I, I, I so want to avoid that pride that I end up reducing my effectiveness for the kingdom. So yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Reminds me of, so I've, Walter Brueggemann has the book Sabbath as Resistance and I'm thinking about it as you both are talking, his whole notion on what Sabbath is, is it's a declaration God saying in the desert, you were made for so much more than, than what you've, thought you were made for so for 400 years you've given yourself to backbreaking brick making slavery and now here you are delivered into the wilderness and here in the ten commandments one of the major tenets is you will be identified as a people who say no we are not made for that and whether that's a full dealing with sabbath or not i've always loved that idea sabbath as resistance and so it feels like even with what you guys are talking about with glory and ambition there's this tension of, so in the wilderness, work is still good, but God's people need to say no to it, to recognize that mm-hmm. they're actually created for fellowship with him, not for backbreaking, painstaking labor. Um, and it seems the same has to happen in these circles of, of men recognizing there are good things in ambition, there are good things in drive. Uh, the world is going to make you believe that you were created for those things. And Christian social media culture is going to perpetuate that myth um, and that faithfulness looks like you know resistance in yeah. some ways of no I'm made for fellowship with the father but I'm also going to give myself to the things that he's called me to and be faithful in those yeah. things and so that's a ch- that's a challenge for all of us I think ambition has to be has to be held in tension it yeah. has to be restrained by humility so you know humility is the is the tracks mm-hmm. along which ambition runs when it's not when it's not on those tracks it gets really dangerous mm-hmm. and that's where the narcissism comes in yeah. so a final question and i'm going to ask both of you this jr i'll start with you so let, let's say you're sitting in a room you've got five minutes with a church planter 
okay, and you've just got a couple of things that, 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 that you can say to them. You know, what, what are some of the most important things that you want to convey to somebody over a five-minute period who is sitting there and saying, JR, I want to plant a church and I want to see the gospel preached in, a, in this particular city? The first thing I would, I would tell that person is then you need to cultivate a life of prayer. Like, don't do this if, you don't, if, you've not, if you're not actively cultivating a life of prayer. Um, I, one, of the, one of the concerns I have, we talked about concerns, is I, I believe in preaching with all my heart. I think that we've done a great job at emphasizing preaching. Um, but that vision that Ezekiel has, he speaks to the bones. They rattle, they come together, sinews, tendon, flesh, but there's no life in him until he speaks to the wind, until he speaks to the ruach, the spirit. And then the spirit brings life and it becomes a living army. And I think we've had such an emphasis on preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, that we're, we're speaking to the bones, but I don't know if we've cried out to the spirit and we've really cultivated a life of prayer. I think one of the things that keeps us from sinful ambition is having a life of prayer. We're keeping ourselves in the love of God, praying at all times in the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is don't go at it alone. Uh, we parachuted into New York by ourselves, and that was probably the biggest error we made along the way. I would say don't don't go with this alone. Even Paul, when he had an open door in Troas, said I, I didn't walk through it because I didn't have my brother Titus with me. Mm. And so I think, I think having someone with you that you're doing this with that um, will keep help keep you in check but also share the load share the work excellent is, is huge uh, to the first point that jr made um there is a book written by a man named tony Sargent. it's called the sacred calling and i don't know if it's still available but it's on the it's on the pneumatology of d martin lloyd jones in his preaching oh man and if you have the opportunity to get that book get online right now and find that book make sure it's part of your library but not just on, sitting on your shelf make sure you read it because he understood the role of the holy spirit in preaching and wanted to make sure that the experience of the spirit was something that not only he encountered but his people encountered as well. Mm. So, Jamin, now over to you. Same question. Yeah, those those are great answers. Um, and some of what I would have said, speaking to the plurality piece, or at least of not going it alone. I think the three of us would agree that plurality is a is one of the ways that God protects and builds His church is is by having a, a group of folks. And I think setting that in motion from the very beginning, maybe not a full blown plurality, but recognizing that you're part of a, a team. Um, I think there's a ton of wisdom in there. I, I think one thing that I'd talk to someone about is self-awareness. Just who are you? What is it? Uh, what is it that God's done in your life? What's He doing? What do you, What do you believe He's going to do? Um, not to put yourself at the center of His work, but recognizing what it is that He is doing in you, and, and whether or not uh, others affirm that and um, believe that that's the right thing. Uh, motives for planting. So are you, why do you want to plant? Well, I want to preach, and the place I'm at doesn't give me the opportunity to preach as much. Well, that's a okay ambition is, is preaching, uh, but that is, the, is that the reason to step out and plant a church? Um, uh, having a vision for the city, a theology for the city, or for the region, wherever you are, we're in the suburbs, so having a, an understanding of how that, that community works and how it runs and what are the idols in that community and what are the lies that the enemy wants folks in that place to believe and, and just engaging with those types of things. 
Um, I want to see a guy, if he's coming in saying, I want to plant a church, my hope is that he's been wrestling through all of that and really taking into account all of those types of things through prayer, like JR said, talking to other folks, recognizing who they are and recognizing the place that God's Mm. calling him to and having a vision for what it looks like to be faithful there. Not to take JR's ministry and to replicate it in whatever place they are in, but what's God specifically want to do through you and the team of folks that are going to be planting in that place? Guys, it's been a great conversation. I really wanted to thank you. JR, thank you so much for thank joining you. us today. Yeah. And, and Jamin, thank you as thank well you. for contributing. And, and don't forget, as you're walking through Salvation Armies in the future, listen carefully. For <laughs> so Damon much context Stinziazos. to that story that's not even Name. shared. No, so. it's, all, it's all an inside story. But that's part of the fun of doing these interviews because, oh, because it's our interview and we get to do what we want. <laughs> but awesome. uh, thank you, men, for joining us. And, and by the way, um, this, this move to Naples uh, has been triggering just a number of encouraging things. So if you're a listener and you're going to be attending the For the Church conference that's coming up, uh, please come and visit the Am I Called booth. We're going to have a booth set up there. There will be stuff that you'll be able to take advantage of. Actually, I don't even know what all we're going to have there, but, but come and visit us. And also, uh, there are some upcoming interviews with, with Trip Lee, um, just did one on, with Andy Crouch and Dan Allender and, and other leaders as well. And all of that is free. All of it is available to serve you and to help equip you. And, uh, and don't forget either just about the, the Next Steps course that we've just developed that's there. If you're a leader and you're looking to take the next step, if you're a pastor and you want to help your, help your leaders take next steps, that course is available for you there as well. And it's at your service. And I just want to say thanks for listening. It's great to have you here as uh, and a part of the Am I Called podcast. Mm-hmm.